Welcome everybody to the Safina Society Nothing But Facts live stream where we, uh, it is a sunny yet slightly cold Thursday in which we are now on the topic today. Every Thursday we talk about the stories of the Odia and that's what we have today here. And we have the stories of the Odia and we have Muhammad Ad-Daqi. Okay, there's no tashkir on this. I don't know if that's Ad-Duqi or Ad-Daqi. Okay, Muhammad Ad-Duqi. Abu Bakr, Muhammad ibn Dawood. Al-Ma'roof Bid-Daqi. They don't tell us Ad-Duqi or Ad-Daqi. Tuwfiya ba'da, he died after 350 Hijriyan. Okay, 961 Hijriyan, Miladiyan. أَقَامَ بِالشَّامِ He lived in Sham. وَعَاشَ أَكْثَرَ مِنْ مِئَةِ سَنَةِ He lived in Damascus and he lived more than 100 years. He lived a long life. Okay, He lived a long life. Muhammad al-Duqi lived... Sahiba Ahmad ibn al-Jala wal-Zaqaq wa He has nothing except one saying from him. Al-Ma'ida mawdi'u yajma'u al-Atayma the stomach or the intestines is the place where food uh, is gathered. فَإِذَا طُرِحَتْ فِيهَا الْحَلَالِ If you put the halal in it, صَدَرَتَ الْأَعْضَاءُ بِالْأَعْمَالِ الصَّالِحَةِ Then deeds will, um, good deeds will come off the limbs. وَإِذَا طُرِحَتْ فِيهَا الشُّبْهَةِ اشْتَبْهَ عَلَيْكَ الطَّرِيقِ إِلَى اللَّهِ If you put in it shubha, which means unknown foods like something you don't know if this is halal or haram for me to eat then you will find the result of that you'll be confused what is the path of Allah you'll be confused on what's the path of Allah what's the truth okay and if the haram is put inside of it then there is a barrier between you and the affair of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, meaning you and the path of Allah, there will be a barrier between you, all right, and that path, and the truth. You won't know the truth. You won't be able to come upon the truth easily. And this is, uh, there is a lot of haram in today's food, and there is a lot of confusion on what the right path is. And there is something that we have to talk about. There is a lot uh, of, of, of controversy around Islam. It's like all day, every day, there's something new. There's some different thing. There's a confusion. On qat'iyat, things that should have no confusion in them. But that's what Iblis does. He does talbis. Talbis is to confuse you. And he confuses you best with somebody who is partly on the truth and partly false. Like someone who's like 80% on the truth or 95% on the truth, but will introduce to you 5% poison. And you'll slowly die from that. Die meaning lose the love of iman. Okay, lose the love of faith. Imam Madik has a very, very important statement. I wish I had the actual quote with me here. I think that we who are involved in da'wah, who are involved in all these things, we really need to pay attention to this and always remember it. Imam Madik said, Al-jidalu bayna al-ulama'i yudhibu nur al-ilm. Argumentation among scholars removes the light of knowledge. And he also said, الجدال في الدين ليس بشيء 
Argumentation in religion is nothing, which means it results in nothing. It will bring you nothing good. Nothing good will come out of this. It's important for us to remember this because people like us, Sufi and Saudi, we're into knowledge. We're about uh, the aqidah and we're into the fundamentals of knowledge and aqidah and fiqh and suluk. We're into all that. That's all we do all day and all night. That's what we do. And there's competing and sometimes nastily competing groups from outside of Islam, from people who are attributing themselves to Islam, which we would say are not Muslim, Zanadiqa, reformers, progressives. There are sects in Islam who are Muslims who are negating qatayat. Qatayat means clearly explicit verses and hadiths, which we call them Ahlul Bid'ah. Okay. And lastly, which we don't really need to argue with, are people who differ upon, and that, well, there is, there are things that are interpretive verses that are, there's ijma' upon them, and people go against that ijma'. So we will go be against them on that issue only, not on their fundamentals. And then there are different madhabs, which we don't differ with, no problem. We welcome all of them. They're all paths to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. Uh, uh, Imam Abu Hanifa's madhab. Yesterday I joked, I sort of felt bad about it too, but I mean, it was pretty funny, but, and it was true, but, but I felt bad, but, but, but I I try to make sure that everybody knows that we have the utmost respect for all four of these schools of thought. Who's going to come close to their position with Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala? That people worship Allah based on their statement. Abu Hanifa has more followers than any other human that is not a prophet. Think about this. There are more people who worship Allah based upon Abu Hanifa than anybody follows any other human being outside the, the prophets. Right? Prophet Muhammad sallallahu Prophet Isa alayhi I would probably say that there are more people who follow Abu Hanifa than follow Moses. Right? Are there more practicing Hanafis or practicing Jews? There's no doubt about it. There's more practicing Hanafis. No, yeah, yeah, attribution. Following Moses, attributing themselves to Moses. Right or wrong, right? There's more Hanafis than Jews, I think, right? What, 100 million Jews? If there's a billion, if there's 100 million Jews, then there's a billion Muslims, right? And probably more than a quarter of Muslims attribute themselves as Hanafis, whether they know it or not. They worship Allah based on the fatwa of Abu Hanifa. Anyway, point being is that there's a lot of, you're constantly in a wrestling match avoiding blows and giving blows in understanding what is the actual truth of Islam, okay? But in this, we cannot be fall and collapse into constant nonstop argumentation because I'm going to tell you what's going to happen. The light, of, uh, the light of knowledge, what is the light of knowledge? It sounds like such a mystical thing. It's a feeling that you, you feel at peace. Isn't that how we all got into the deen? We all got into the deen because this gave us some peace, right? This gave us some peace. Studying fiqh gives us some peace. The moment that you start arguing, that peace goes away. So we have to be very careful and make a clear intention whenever we're talking about some other uh, uh, drama or issue... I'm telling you, you can make a soap opera about Islam and YouTube. Somebody can make a soap opera. 
There is more than enough material. I'm telling you, Islam, it's an exciting world, to be honest with you. If you're a writer out there, there's progressives. Majid Nawaz comes in. Uh, So-and-so does this and that and the other. And this one issues the response to the response to the response. And then you have other people in the corner saying the secret of the secret of the secret. Right? I mean, it's exciting stuff, but you just have to keep in mind the imamatic statement. Arguing, argumentation between scholars removes the light of iman, a light of knowledge. Yudhibu nur al-ilm. You just have to keep that in mind. Okay, because otherwise, it's just uh, uh, the sweetness of faith goes away and people get disenchanted. They do. They get disenchanted. They feel like, and sometimes these, these, these dramas really take a toll on people. They attack each other so badly. So we have to keep that in mind. And that's really when he says here, uh, that you'll be confused about the path to Allah. That's something that we want to avoid. And there's so much of saying that uh, there's so much sources of confusion. Like you can't even um, you can't even count anymore the number of groups. It's unfortunate. So keep that in mind. Next one, Ahmed al Daynuri. What does Ahmed al Daynuri have to say to us today? Uh, وهو أبو العباس أحمد ابن محمد الدينوري توفي عام ثلاثمائة وأربعين هجريا تسعمائة واحد وخمسون ميلاديا صاحب يوسف ابن الحسين وابن عطاء الجريري different ابن عطاء from الأسكندري who came way later وكان عالما فاضلا he was a noble scholar ورد نيسابور وأقام بها مدة he went to Nishapur and he stayed there for a period of time وكان يعيذ الناس he used to give advice to people ويتكلم على لسان المعرفة he would speak the tongue of معرفة ثم ذهب إلى سمرقند ومات بها then he moved to سمرقند and he died there قال أدنى الذكر أن تنسى ما دونه the least of dhikr is you, that you forget anyone besides him you forget anybody besides Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala meaning at that moment you're not even conscious or aware of anything this is possible you don't think this is impossible no when people get into something they forget everything else and that's why they feel in the zone so to speak people can be in the zone about anything in the dunya the problem is that thing you have devoted all of your heart to it it's not even a thing it won't give you anything back that's the problem right it'll give you something back very little there's no guarantee that it'll give you back there was i was watching a documentary about a coach who he helps youth through his basketball team his basketball program one of the kids was talking about how when he's playing basketball it's the only time he's at peace and the, the, my understanding of that or my analysis of that is that the basketball makes you like when he's in the zone he's forgetting all his problems you can't forget all your problems by not thinking about them you can only forget your problems by thinking about something else now the only problem here is that basketball is not going to give you much back it may give you a career it may give you that moment whereas if you were to get lost in the Prayer to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, you will definitely get something back, and he has the power 
over all your problems. He has power over these things. Whereas you get lost. I was watching another documentary. A guy would get lost um, in Tom Clancy novels. He would get lost reading books. And I'm like, uh, that was, he was like, that was my way out of my problems. It's like, it's a fitra of a human being when he doesn't like what's around him to put all of his focus on something else. But the question is, does that something else, is it real? Is it going to give you anything back? Does it have power? It doesn't. All you are is, yes, at that moment, you're making yourself forget about your problems. But the truth of the matter is that that thing is not giving you anything back. So... The end result of dhikr is that you not you're not even aware you're so lost in the dhikr that you're not aware that you're making dhikr. وَقَالَ لِسَانُ الظَّاهِرِ لَا يُغَيِّرُ حُكْمَ الْبَاطِنِ Okay. The outward and the inward are never in contradiction. Imam Malik, a man came to him and said, uh, asked him about ilm al-batin. So he said, خُذْ بِعِلْمِ الظَّاهِرِ First take the knowledge of the dhahir. وَعَمَلْ بِهِ Act upon it. Okay. Then Allah Ta'ala will place a light in your heart that will grant you knowledge of the batin. So Malik did not deny that there's not a knowledge of the batin. In inner knowledge. Zahir means the external. Batin means the internal. That's the difference. Al-Zahir wal-Batin. Some people ask, how is Allah zahir and batin? Allah is zahir and batin depending upon the, the medium of perception. Okay? So, let's take the mind, for example. We can say that Allah is zahir. Certain attributes of Allah are apparent to the mind and certain of them are hidden to the mind. Like what? Well, His existence, His power. When you look around and you see these beautiful plants and you see things just grow, and you see order in the, in the world, in the universe, his power, his oneness, his knowledge, his wisdom becomes apparent to you. However, your mind can never look at the world and think to discern his name, and to discern that he has mercy, and to discern these other things. You'll never know that. So certain attributes, when it comes to the mind, certain attributes are zahir, others are batin. When it comes to, let's say, uh, transmitted knowledge, transmitted knowledge will give us so many, so many attributes of Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, but the results of ihsan are not to be gained just by reading. So, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala says, speaks about sharh al-sudur, the opening of the chest. Okay? Sharh al-sadr. Sharh Allahu sadrahu al-islam. Afma sharh Allahu sadrahu al-islam fahu ala nurim min rabbih. He is upon light from his Lord. We, so, the knowledge of the transmitted, transmitted knowledge cannot produce that. What produces that? Action upon the knowledge. Right? Action upon the knowledge. Action upon the knowledge also can get you that, but it can't get you rulings. Acting, no matter how pious you are, you're not going to learn rulings by action. You learn rulings by study. So you see, the point of al-zahir wal-batin is whatever uh, perception 
whatever angle of perception we're directed to, some aspect of it is dahir, and some another aspect of it is batin. Okay, so let's take for the uh, and and ilm al ghayb is sim, sim, similar to that. Knowledge of the unseen. At every perspective, there is some unseen. For the for for the people of before us, signs of the end of time. The bulk of them were completely unseen, taken on faith, right? And by the way, I have something extremely interesting, amazing almost to read to you today about this, about signs of the end of time. For for the most people, the concepts of the Prophet ﷺ, for example, said that how is the Dajjal gonna uh, was asked how is the Dajjal gonna travel the earth in such a small time? Prophet ﷺ said. He's going to ride on an animal that had his eyes along its side that leaps through the clouds. So for how many centuries did the Sahaba and the and the Tabi'in Tabi'in and all the generations of Islam and all your grandparents just listen to that and take it on faith, right? And could not fathom. I mean, look, they're looking at all the animals on the earth. They're looking at the birds. The, a bird, what's the biggest bird? A hawk, maybe this big, right? Maximum? A vulture, maybe this big? How high, how, how high does it go? A human can't ride on a hawk, right? So they're probably thinking, but the prophet then said, between its ears are 40 cubits. They've never seen an animal like this. How is it going to develop? Is it going to come out through the ground or what? They just believed it on faith. They took it and they transmitted it to us. But here's the loyalty. The loyalty, and the prophet said, this religion is transmitted by the upright and the honest. Don't change the text. As the Prophet said, it's just transmitted. If you don't understand it, that's what, just suspend your, your judgment on it. Transmit it as it came. Uh, they transmitted it honestly for, for 1,400 years until we now know very easily what that means, and it's the airplane. Is there a doubt that it's an airplane? Eyes all along its side. Its width is like 40 cubits apart, okay, and it jumps through the clouds. Is there a doubt, a single Anybody who looks at that, you have to say the Prophet was seeing clearly what this this future of this world holds and transmitting it and saying it in the language that they could understand. But most importantly, he knew his ummah would have honest people who just transmit it as is and suspend their judgment. Our judgment means literally nothing. Okay, When it comes to these things about the future because you just don't know what the world's going to look like. Nobody... 100 years ago in 1920 could have imagined a day a single moment in time in 2023 1923 the light bulb was just getting around to the rich well no sorry wait was it yeah i think it was the 20s the light bulb just started coming around to the rich maybe even not not even that the car was just being invented okay there was no phone well, look what we're doing right here. Okay? You couldn't even fathom it. So, don't. what, what about 200 years from now? We can't even fathom that. That honesty. Uh, Rehan, I need you for a second. Okay. Um, just fill that with water right there behind that picture. Fill it with water and, and bring it here. When I when I mentioned these plants, I forgot that we're oppressing the plants. They won't f- they're, they're fasting. We saw the song. They're connecting the days. Yeah, which is an innovation, and we're uh, uh, forcing an innovation upon them. 
With Salah Soam is forbidden. It's to fast without breaking the fast. Fast one day into the next. No breaking of the fast. No suhoor, no iftar. That's is that uh, that's wasal is sawm. Siyam al-dahr is allowed. Siyam al-dahr is to fast every single day, except the two Eids. That's allowed. It's not the sunnah, but it's allowed. وَقَالَ لَقَدْ نَقَضُوا أَرْكَانَ التَّصَوُّفِ وَهَدَمُوا سَبِيلَهُ He said they have destroyed the pillars of tasawuf. Tasawuf is Islamic spirituality. And they destroyed its path. وَغَيَّرُوا مَعَانِيهِ بِأَسْمَاءٍ أَحْدَثُوهَا They altered its meaning by names that they just created. فَقَدْ إِسَمُّوا الطَّمَعَ زِيَادَةً They called greed increase. وَسُوءِ الْأَدَبِ إِخْلَاصٍ إِخْلَاصًا And bad manners, they call it ikhlas. And that's the truth. People who say it how it is, right? They say, oh, mashallah, the ikhlas. He says it as it is. He said what nobody else would say. Bad manners, they call it ikhlas. وَالْخُرُوجُ عَنَ الْحَقِّ شَطْحَ And when somebody goes out of the truth or, or says something false, they say he's having a spiritual moment. شطح. A shatah is a moment where your spirituality is so strong, you lose your intellect, you say something that you don't really mean. And that's not true. So when someone, one of them does this, calls it a shatah. وَالتَّلَذُّذِ بِالْمَذْمُومِ Okay, and uh, enjoying something that is blameworthy, like makroo, maybe even haram, they they call it sweetness. Okay. Following their whims, they say he's tested. Subhanallah. Imagine what he would say about today. People they do all the stuff that uh, the, all the stuff that you can imagine. And they say, no, 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 he has a disorder. The heck? All sorts of bad manners. All sorts of insanity. No, no, no. It's, it's, I have a thing. Okay. How do we know the difference? All these are lenses. Returning to the dunya, they call it wusul. So that means that, what they mean by this is that a person is a zahid. And just put it right there for now. It's filled. Person is a zahid, then they're not a zahid anymore and they need to get some dunya. They say, no, no, he disappeared in the truth and now he's at a higher path where he's in the dunya and with Allah at the same time. Wasu'ul khuluq, sawla. Walbukhl jalada. Stingy means he's good with finances. No, he's stingy. Asking people for things, they call it work. Rudeness of the tongue, they call it malama. I think what he means here, someone's rude, they they took that as like he's forbidding the wrong. He's blaming the wrong. Okay. This is not the way of the early ascetics. An ascetic is somebody who goes without the dunya. These are people who are, who are worshippers. And what the, this person is saying is that eventually these people, they've taken on new habits and they've changed the meanings of things in order to justify being like everybody else but thinking that he's a worshipper.
ممشاد الدين الدين الدينوري so there was Ahmed al-Dainuri, now there's Mimshad al-Dainuri. Okay. He was from the big scholars. وَقَالَ أَدَبُ الْمُرِيدِ فِي الْتِزَامِ حُرُمَاتِ الْمَشَايِخِ What is adab? Adab is, the adab of the seeker of knowledge is to respect the scholars. Let me tell you something, the best thing you can do with a scholar is never get too close. I'm telling you, never get too close. Never get personal, too personal with them. They're regular people. There's no doubt about that, right? But if you want to benefit from someone, you have to be respectful of them. The closer you get, you get too familiar, you won't benefit anymore. Okay? If Allah puts them in that position as like their family or something, then... Okay? That's different. That's their test and that, that's, that's their life. So that's the way we should be with the shiuch. We should always be listening, reading their books, okay, watching their videos, all that, always, nonstop. But you don't ever want to get so personal with them. Okay. And if you do, you will see a normal person. That should not, if you're mature, that should never stop you from learning from them and from respecting and honoring them. Uh, the, we're going to get banned in Egypt the, the adab of the murid is to serve the other students and the brothers who are there serve the other people who are there be somebody who is not competing against those people be someone who wants to serve them wants to benefit them don't rely so much don't rely at all you may have to take asbab, but don't rely upon the no external worldly causes and effects. Don't even believe in them. You may have to do them. What is our what is our way in Islam? Our way is that we have to act upon cause and effect in the material world, in the demonstrative, demonstrable scientific world. We have to study that and act upon it. However, we don't believe in it nor rely upon it. We just say that Allah creates one thing after another. Okay. Is the volume good now? Yeah. And finally, last and most importantly, the adab of the sharia. When we add adab, every time we talk about adab, some people, they only talk about adab when you're commanding right and forbidding wrong. They want to stop you from commanding right and forbidding wrong. So they say you have to have adab. But this is adab. Adab is guarding the sharia, not uh, guarding the sharia, not uh, letting people do the haram and staying silent, and that's called adab. That's another alteration of meanings that's happening. People alter the words. And the Prophet said at the end of time, people will alter words, the meanings of words. So riba becomes called interest, benefit. In, in the Arab world, they call it Benefits, right? Well, it's interest. It's not benefits. It's interest. Okay? Uh, alcohol and things are called spirits. Right? Like, it's like, prostitution is called sex work. Work, they're calling it. Employment. And watch, you'll see Muslims defending it. When the Democrats come out with it, which they already have, you'll see Muslims defending it. And they'll say, hey, if we want to work, if we want rights to work, we have to make sure everyone else has the rights to work. 
So this is the alteration of, 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 of terms and words. To, to disobey Allah, freedom. To, to, to destroy and, and mock faith and belief, freedom of speech, freedom of expression. Okay? Lewdness, art. Right? That's what they call it. Creativity. Uh, or, oh, here's my favorite one. Lack of discipline, creative, right? You ever see someone, oh, he, he, he's, he can't sit straight. Why? He's a creative genius. Wait a second. So you, a creative genius can't have discipline? A creative genius can't, like, sit down and study? That's a little bit more innocent because it doesn't affect the dean, but everything has changed. What else, Ron? What else we got that's, that's been altered? Uh, Zina? And, and, and alcohol and all those things, de-stressing. But when you guard against these things, they call it suppression. You're suppressing yourself. When you don't commit zina, don't drink alcohol, don't look at women, don't fornicate with yourself, they call that suppression. Right? You're, that's what, that was Freud's idea. Okay. Dawa, forcing your ideas on others. Just changing, the, they just change the words. Um, they would call, for example, uh, um, any any liberal view. What is he saying? Yeah, zina relationships, right? Any liberal view, you know what any liberal fatwa is, or any any wrong fatwa, the nuanced version, right? <laughs> Nuanced means make the haram halal for me, will you? Yeah. A subtle difference in or shade of meaning, expression, or sounds. Okay, wonderful. That's what nuance is. But let's see how it's used. I'm telling you, a guy t- asked me about getting a home from the bank. He said it's riba. I said, all the ulama said this is riba. He said, okay, you know what? I'm just going to go to Sheikh Zonto. Maybe he'll give me a more nuanced view. <laughs> you mean make it halal for you, right? Subhanallah. I asked another guy, how did he get his house? He said, with the fatwa. So this is the alteration of words. Is, is, keep, is something to let your ears peek up. Okay. Delta 019. Why hasn't Safina Saidi replied to my email? Make sure you sent it over to info at safinasaidi.org and we definitely have to reply. We always reply. Okay. Waqala... Mimshad, ma dakhaltu qat, ma dakhaltu qatu ala ahadin, min shuyuhi, illa wa ana khalim min jami'i ma huwa li. I never enter upon my sheikh except I make myself absolutely empty of what everything I know. In other words, he goes in, he empties his brain of everything he knows. Imam al-Ghazali went to a sheikh one time to study. So who was it? No, Abu hassan al-Shadri. Abu hassan al-Shadri traveled from Morocco all the way to Iraq looking for the Qutb al-Zaman. Okay? Qutb al-Zaman. And he went there and they, he saw some shiuch and he said, no, 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 the Qutb al-Zaman is back where you came from. Go back to Morocco. He lives on such and such a mountain. So he went there and he saw Abdus Salam ibn Mashish. 
And he took permission of him to study. He climbed the mountain and he said, I would like to learn from you. And he said, this is what I've read. I've read this, I've read this, I've read this, I've read this. And he piled the books. So Abdus Salam al-Mashi says, go back down the mountain. There's a lake, there's a stream there. Go purify yourself. So he said, okay, this is the first lesson. He went down, he purified himself, came back up. No, no, sorry, I'm confusing two stories. I'm confusing two stories. It was Ghazali who went to a man with all these books. So the man said, well, then you have all this knowledge, then I have nothing to give you. That was, that was Ghazali's story. Abu Hassan al-Shadli's story is he went, and he went up with his garment, his, sheikh gar- his sheikh's outfit, and Abdul Salam al-Mashish said, go down, go down and purify yourself. So he went, made wudu, came back up with the jubba and the turban and everything. And then he sent him back down. Until finally, after three times, he said to him, he, under, he, he said to him, you didn't understand. I meant purify your ego of what you think about yourself. Meaning, remove this. You want to study with me and be my disciple? Remove this and remove that jubba that is telling you in the world that you're a scholar. Right? And so he removed that and then he became uh, his student and his disciple. So uh, we're reading now from Ar-Risala Al-Qushayriya. Stories of the early ascetics. An ascetic is somebody who wants to leave off this world and just focus upon Allah and the afterlife and death is coming and they find peace in that. And they, they, the bulk of their religious piety is in that field, in that aspect of things. We, we read about them hoping to take a sliver off the top and apply that and live some of that. We're going to find a lot of sakina and a lot of sincerity if we do. You're going to find yourself more sincere. Because once you enjoy your time spent in ibadah and dhikr and dua and munajat, then you don't need to practice your religion for the sake of other people, for the sake of pleasing other people, so on and so forth. Okay. So he said, I empty my mind of everything I know. I go in as if I don't know anything. That's the only way you can learn. And I sit and I wait for the blessings, the increase that will come to me when I look at him and I talk and I listen to his speech. If you enter in upon a teacher, in your mind, you know stuff. You will not benefit from that person. When you sit with you, when you sit for a lesson, empty your mind. It's not empty your mind as if just be brainwashed. That's not what we mean. Make yourself as if I don't know anything. Let the teacher control the gathering. Let the teacher control, right, um, the, the, the session. That's how it works. That's how you're going to learn. Don't ever sit with somebody and say, oh, he's young. He doesn't know a lot of things. No, he may, be, he may be all that. But he may be an expert at something you don't know anything about. Right? I guarantee you, if you take any doctor, 60 years old, 55 years old, and you take me a recent 22-year-old, 30-year-old even, graduate of the Qira'at, the, the 10 recitations. Okay, There are 10 Qura'a. Aqari, 
are the, the original authors who documented the rules of recitation. There are 10 of them. Just like there are four madhabs in fiqh, there used to be 11. But seven of them died out. There are now seven major there were seven scholars, there were many, also many, many scholars who documented the rules of Tajweed. Of the chains that survive today, seven major ones and three minor ones, meaning seven have a lot of followers, three have very little. So that's why sometimes you hear the seven recitations and the ten recitations, meaning those who documented how did the Prophet and the companions recite the Quran. These are called Qurra. The students of those qurra are called ruwa transmitters okay and the students of those transmitters okay or the 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 knowledge that came from them from the next generation it's called tariq so qira'a riwaya tariq but leave the tariq aside okay what you should know is the qira'a and the riwaya so for example hafs and asim Hafs is the riwayah. Asim is the qari. Asim was the scholar who documented the rules of tajweed. And he documented it in front of his students, right? So wherever there was something that the original author didn't make clear, or he may have said two different things, the, his students made that clear. Okay? And so there were... There are multiple riwayats per qari. A qari means a reciter, and a rawi is a transmitter. So hafs an asim, warsh an nafa, qalun an nafa, khalaf an hamza. So these are two generations, and when did they write? All of the qurra, they tend to be from the third generation. Tabi tabi. Okay, and they sat and they wrote down the rules of Tajweed. They codified it. So all the Sahaba were reciting, the Tabi'in were reciting, everyone was reciting, and now um, uh, people now then they said, okay, well we need to write this down. So Asim took from his shiuch, just like Abu Hanifa took from his shiuch, Malik took from his shiuch, and they wrote down fiqh. Likewise, the Qurra, the reciters, wrote down the rules of Tajweed. And they gave names, Med, Idram, things like that. And then they're, as usual, everyone's a human being. You're never going to uh, put, you're never going to gather everything in one place. So oftentimes, a qari, just like a madhab, a shafi, Abu Hanifa, Malik, Ahmed, they're not going to be able to document everything, right? There may be a gap that they left. They may have said two different things and not made up their mind on which position they take. And the riwat, the ruwat, they're the ones, the, the reason that they're important is that they clarify those little gaps. So you have layers of the scholarship. Scholarship cannot just be one layer, multiple layers. Okay, so that, that's where you get, and from the ruwat, warsh an nafa for example, warsh, he has two students who differed on some very subtle matters. All right, azraq. Isfahani, different narrators. So we know exactly the names of the people who documented the recitation of Quran. Okay. 
So that's what uh, that's what that's an example of the kiraat. How did we get to talking about that? Oh, I so I was given the example. I bet you a lot of, of physicians, a lot of very high level businessmen who can tell you a lot about the intricacies of life. They could tell you how to live. They could tell you how to make a buck. They could tell you a lot about township laws, tax laws, contracts. They're very mature. They've sat in very serious meetings in their life. They've dealt with very serious issues in their life. And they may not know something like uh, the qiraat, right? Then you have a kid, 25 years old, who spent the last five years of his life, six years of his life, memorizing the Qur'an and studying tajweed, amongst other things. The difference in maturity, knowledge, life experience, there's no doubt about it. But in this field, he's the expert, and you don't know anything. We have to have this mentality. And it's very strange that I see some, some people, may Allah protect us from this, that because they have a lot of life experience in one area and they're mature and all that stuff, they can't seek knowledge from somebody who doesn't have that, that stuff but is an expert in one field. Why are you wasting the opportunity? All right, next. So he's saying if you go in with your own mentality that you know a lot of stuff, you will not benefit from the person. Go in as a clean slate and do exactly what they tell you to do if you're truly a student. Go in with an empty piece of paper and do exactly what they do. You will learn so much from their, of their expertise. But go in with your own ideas, you won't learn. Okay? It's like you, you have an art professor, an art teacher, who's teaching you how to draw or something, but you keep talking. You have to shut your mouth, right? All right. Abdullah al-Razi. Abu Muhammad Abdullah al-Razi. Born and raised in Nishapur. He was a companion of Junaid al-Sadiq. He was asked, مَا بَالُ النَّاسِ يَعْرِفُونَ عُيُوبَهُمْ وَلَا يَرْجِعُونَ إِلَى الصَّوَابِ Good question. Why do people know their flaws but don't go back to what is correct? فَقَالَ لِأَنَّهُمْ اشْتَغَلُوا بِالْمُبَاهَةِ بِالْعِلْمِ وَلَمْ يَشْتَغِلُوا بِاسْتِعْمَالِهِ Because they've gotten busy boasting about their knowledge, finding a way to show off their knowledge, and not acting upon their knowledge. And they're busy with the outward. And they haven't gotten busy with the adab of the inside. The adab of the batin. The adab of the batin. Ikhlas. Every time I look at the achievements of a lot of people, I say, yeah, you can achieve all that stuff if you don't have to worry about adab. You can achieve a lot of stuff if you don't have to worry about um, uh, the, the showing off yourself, right? You can achieve a lot if you don't have to worry about these. The moment you have to worry about a lot of things uh, of the batin and of the adab, you won't achieve much. You won't achieve those things. You'll achieve different things, better things. Because of they always focus on the outward and they're just showing off, Allah made their, their hearts blind. 
And he limited their limbs from ibadah. Yahya ibn Mu'adh al-Razi He is Abu Zakariya Yahya ibn Mu'adh al-Razi Al-Wa'idh Faridu Asrihi He is unique in his time Lahu lisanun Fil-Raja'i Wa kalamun fil-Ma'rifa He had an amazing tongue In Duha Al-Raja' He had an amazing tongue When he calls upon Allah Like his tongue Can come up with Expressions and words That pierce the meaning And له كلام في المعرفة, and he has a lot of speech. He talks a lot about معرفة, which is the direct um, knowledge of Allah Subhanahu wa Taala. He went to Balkh, وأقام فيها مدة, ثم رجع إلى نيسابور. Then he went back to Nisabur. Nisabur. قال كيف يكون زاهدا من لا ورع له? How could you be a zahid if you have no ورع? ورع means like is this if the haram is here you stop here stopping well before the haram the fact that nobody can even possibly accuse you of falling into the haram okay tawarru' amma laysa lak thumma azhad fi ma lak warra' He defines it as what is not yours. That's wara. Stay far away from what's not yours. It's not my right. Okay? And then as zuhud is in what is yours. Like I have the right and the ability, right, to, to buy and spend XYZ, etc., etc. I'm going to not do that. So al wara is what is haram for you in the first place. Avoiding it and putting a buffer there. And zuhud is what is halal for you. Zuhud is, is leaving off what is halal for you in order to do something better. وَقَالَ جُوعُ التَّوَّابِينَ تَجْرِبَ The hunger of the, the penitent is an experiment. وَجُوعُ الزَّاهِدِينَ سِيَاسَ وَجُوعُ الصِّدِّقِينَ تَكَرُّمَ The hunger of the penitent is like he's testing it out, seeing if this is going to work, this is going to benefit me or not. The jua of the zahideen, of the ascetics, is siyasa. It's, it's negotiation with his nafs. Nafs, you want this? Okay, well, fast one day and then you could have it. He still negotiates with his nafs. And nafs, the nafs is our part of our self that loves desires, right? Wants desires, temptations. So you may want three different things. One of them is halal. One of them is makruh, one of them is haram. So you say to yourself, okay, in order to avoid doing the haram, if I say nothing at all, I'm going to go crazy. I can't do that. So I'm going to have to be political. I'm going to say, okay, fine. Let's do the halal and we'll do the makruh as long as we can avoid the haram. And then once your ego accepts that, then maybe you could leave off the makruh. That's what he means, siyasa. You're, you're negotiating back and forth with your ego. وَجُعَ السِّدِّقِينَ تَكَرُّمَ And that once you are a Siddiq, the Siddiqeen are the, the truthful ones. They're truthful to Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala. They fulfilled the covenant. Their fasting and their hunger now, it's, it's, it's dignity for them. This is the dignified way. It's not dignified 
for those kibar siddiqeen wa salihin to overeat. فَقَالَ أَلْفَوْتُ أَشَدُّ مِنَ الْمَوْتِ لِأَنَّ الْفَوْتُ انْقِطَاعَ عَنَ الْحَقِّ وَالْمَوْتُ انْقِطَاعَ عَنَ الْخَلْقِ أَلْفَوْتُ أَشَدُّ مِنَ الْمَوْتِ which means heedlessness is worse than death because heedlessness is being cut off from the truth and death is being cut off from the creation the truth here meaning Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala وَقَالَ الزُّهْدُ ثَلَاثَةُ أَشْيَاءُ Zuhd is three things. Zuhd is a word that means leaving off distractions from Allah. Okay, that's what Zuhd is. He says three things. الْقِلَّةُ وَالْخَلْوَةُ وَالْجُوعَ It's decreasing whatever you have that's good. So let's say, I want to do Zuhd, but I can't really do a lot of Zuhd. I'm a guy who lives regularly in the world like most of us do. But I want to have a little bit of Zuhd. Okay? How? Decrease a little bit of everything you do. So let's say, how much do I decrease? If it's food, let's say the one spoon is enough. Teach yourself some discipline. Decrease slightly everything that you have. And that, that becomes the zuhud of the common, of, uh, of us people who live in this material world. Another level of zuhud is khalwa. A type of zuhud. You want to go further in zuhud? Zuhud is not to have nothing in the house. No. But zuhud here, he says... Have some time alone in ibadah and dhikr. That is the zuhud from socialization. Human beings love to be with other human beings. Okay? And then the third zuhud is ju'ah. Fast. Make that stomach empty and you will see a big change in yourself. وَقَالَ لَا تَرْبَحْ عَلَى نَفْسِكَ بِشَيْءٍ أَجَلَّ مِنْ أَن تَشْغَلْهَا فِي كُلِّ وَقْتٍ بِمَا هُوَ أَوْلَى بِهَا Do not benefit, do not try to seek a profit for your soul with anything better than being busy than that which was best for it, meaning that which will last in eternity. You want a profit? Every one of us wants to benefit. The plant wants to benefit by leaning towards the sun. The donkey wants to benefit by eating grains. Everyone wants to benefit. If you gave a donkey a choice to go hungry or eat grains, he's going to eat grains. Everything, okay, wants to benefit. That's how Allah created everything. I want to benefit myself. So he's saying, okay, benefit yourself by what is most appropriate for you, most intelligent for you, eternal eternal life, not this temporary life. وَقَالَ مَنْ خَانَ اللَّهَ فِي السِّرِّ if you betray Allah in secret, then Allah Ta'ala will drop down the veil in public. What veil? The veil of that's of your privacy in public. Except someone who makes tawbah. If you make tawbah, inshallah, then we'll be still protected in public. But whoever behind closed doors lives one way and out in public lives another way well maybe eventually hopefully not but chances are one day you're going to be a slip of the tongue or somehow people will know you're not living the same life however if you make tawbah then inshallah you are not a sinner anymore we don't consider we do not consider the penitent sinner to be heedless the penitent sinner 
is penitent, uh, to, to be a sinner. We don't call him a sinner. We call him a tawab, a repenter. This is very important. وَقَالَ تَزْكِيَةُ الْأَشْرَارِ لَكَ هُجْنَ بِكَ هُجْنَ وَحُبُّهُمْ لَكَ عَيْبُ وَهَانَ عَلَيْكَ مِنْ أَحْتَاجَ إِلَيْكَ تَزْكِيَةُ الْأَشْرَارِ لَكَ هُجْنَ بِكَ هُجْنَ I've never seen this word before but what he means here is that when evil and wicked and sinful people yeah spell that for me هَا جِيم نُون تَمَرْبُوتَ uh, light her. Yeah. Jim, noon, Tamarbuta. Yeah, they don't know what they're saying. It's not hybrid for sure. That they're they're saying Hujna means hybrid. No, that website's wrong. Um when evil people praise you, that's dispraise. That should be an offense to you. And the fact that they love you is a flaw within yourself. There's no way an evil person loves you. Right? Except that there must be a flaw in you. But, of course, sinners who are penitent and admitting to their sins, that's not what we're talking about. We're not talking about those people. We're talking about somebody who... Oh, Karen's back, by the way, with a new name. Fauzan and Fauzan. <laughs> okay. Um, because she, he or she is all about Fauzan these days. Uh, may Allah guide him to, you know, someone with an aqidah that doesn't have issues. Uh, what were we saying? We're saying that peop- there are people out there who commit a lot of sins who are very not good, but they don't like the fact that they're committing those sins. They admit it. They repent to Allah Ta'ala. We're not talking about those people. We're talking about those open and shameless sinners okay open and shameless sinner if he loves you there's a problem Mubtadia, reformers progressives if they like you there is a problem there right why does he like what did Sayyidina Ali said if you want to know where the sword of truth is if you know, want to know where the truth is look at where the swords of kufr are pointing okay when somebody needs you you tend to dismiss them okay when someone's always asking you for stuff and begging you and always needs you you tend to not really pay attention to them which is a habit of people to do all right very good let us uh turn now to segment number two but first if you like this podcast and this live stream Subscribe to patreon.com forward slash Safina Society. If you like this live stream and you benefit from it, go to patreon.com forward slash Safina Society. This live stream has a set intention to give a general da'wah to everybody. And if you're ready to study and to seek knowledge, we have put the courses with both recordings and live sessions on arcview.org. So if you want to take the next step and start studying and take a course, for example, an online course that may be 12, 12 uh, sessions, for example, then go to arcview.org. And if you don't know where to start, start with Murad Uthman's Aqidah class from last fall. 
and you'll see all the recordings are there. Fortress of Faith. If you're a teenager, you go to Fortress of Faith, and adults will benefit from it too. Okay. Now, what do I have for you here that's special? All right, here we go. This is what we're reading today. And this is what I have for you. I like to read from the iPad. It's bigger. In In Islam, we have a concept of the end of time. The end of time has signs. Some of these signs are minor and some of them are major. The minor signs are many. Like I mentioned earlier, the airplane. The major signs are ten. One of them is very hard for us to grasp and very hard for us to fathom. Okay? And that is that the Prophet, peace be upon him, said, Before the end time, the end time is a phase. On one hand, it's a phase. On the other hand, Akhir al-Zaman means the literal ending of all humanity on earth. So the end times is a phase, the last phase of human life on this earth, but also uh, As-Sa'a, which is the hour, also means the... Uh, moment in which an angel blows a horn and the earth quakes and everyone dies and there's no more human beings. So before that happens, there are 10 signs. One of them, which oftentimes is extremely difficult um, for people to handle and people to understand, is that the Prophet said the sun will rise from the west. Now, we know that we're rotating and revolving at the same time. We're rotating around our axis, and we're revolving around the sun. The rotation of the axis gives us the day, and the revolutions around the sun gives us the year. What makes the sun to us, in our perception, the sun is not rising and setting at all. It's in our perception uh, on the earth. When we're standing, we see the sun go up and down. We don't see ourselves rotating, right? Or revolving. So the perception of human beings is that the sun is what's moving. But we now know that we're rotating like this and revolving around the sun. So on that perspective, which seems to be the more authoritative perspective rather than our personal perspective of the sun rising and setting, the only way for the sun to ever rise from the west is if this rotation stops and then starts rotating the other way. So we'll still be revolving, but we'll be rotating the opposite direction. That's the only way that the sun could... That is, well, from our understanding, the only way for us to... the sun to ever rise from the west 
is that the rotation of the earth reverses direction. Well, if the rotation of the earth re reverses direction, wouldn't that imply that the day would have to get longer? Because it's not going to, you're not going to rotate like this and then suddenly screech to a stop and then turn the other way. Right? You're not, it's not going to happen. You're going to rotate like a top. If a top is going to go the opposite direction, it has to slow down first. And doesn't it have to, it will slow down. That means the day will start being 25 hours, right? 20, first, it's going to be 24 hours and two minutes, 24 hours and three minutes. And how would we catch this? It'll take us a while to catch this. The astronomers will figure that out, right? But eventually, a day would have to be a long period of time. Let me tell you this. Did not the Prophet ﷺ said, in the time of the Dajjal, there will be a day like a year? and a day like a month, and a day like a week, meaning that the day would expand, right? And Allah knows best, but that's what the Prophet said. Let's read exactly how is it that the, this, this article from CNN, the Earth's inner core may have stopped turning and could go into reverse, the study suggests. Okay, Well, that's the inner core. Does that mean... If the inner does that does the outer outer core follow the inner core or not? We're gonna see that. Because it may not. Right? And this may be have nothing to do with the sun rising from the west. And it may. We'll see. And what is the effect of all this upon us? Nothing really. If 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 people outside of this faith observe the world and their observation matches something that the Prophet said. It strengthens our, our belief in him. If they bring you something and their observations about the world and their theories bring you the exact opposite of what the Prophet said, it has no impact upon us. Because the Prophet is absolute truth and the observations of human beings is speculative truth. It's speculative, right? It could be right, could be wrong. Yeah, they used to kill people who said the earth was round before this. Okay, so they're always changing. It has no impact, but if, if their observation matches the, the, the prophecies of the prophet, peace be upon him, it just strengthens us. And why does it have to be that way? Because if we had Muslim scientists out there, and the Muslim scientist comes and makes an observation and a, draws a scientific conclusion that matches our book and our sunnah and our prophet's sayings, then all the people will say, well, of course, you're looking for it, right? You're looking for that result. We don't trust you, okay? So it's very important to understand why it's actually weightier when a non-believer who, who doesn't even know the sunnah, he doesn't even know the signs of the end of time for us, he doesn't even know the hadith of the prophet, comes and presents to the world an observation and we say, hold on a second, that's in the Quran. Okay? The rotation of the earth's inner core may have paused and it could even go into reverse. New research suggests. Let's see if he has what the evidence is. The earth is formed of the crust, the mantle, the inner and outer cores, and a solid core inside of that. Okay? The solid core is about 3,200 miles below the earth's crust and is separated from the semi-solid mantle by the liquid outer core which allows the inner core, this is sounding like a Sufi book here, the inner core and the outer core, right? How many, how many cores are there, right? 
which allows the inner core to rotate at a different speed from the rotation of the Earth itself. So the inner core is at a different speed from the rotation of the Earth because there is fluid, or what he said, semi-solid, okay, uh, in between them. With the radius of almost 2,200 miles, that is the radius, you all remember what a radius is? It's um, not a diameter, a radius. From the middle to the tip. 2,200 miles, it's pretty big. It's the size of Mars. It consists mostly of iron and nickel and contains about one-third of the Earth's mass. That's pretty big. Subhanallah. Surah Al-Hadid is 57 and the atomic number of iron is also 57. Oh, subhanallah. It's right in the middle. So the core of the Earth and the core of the Qur'an. Yeah, the atomic number is the same too as the abjadic number. But not, not the surah number, but the abjadiyya. Abjadiyya is that the Arabs used to align every letter with a number. Alif is one, ba is two, jim is three. And then you hit 10, then you jump to 10, 20, 30, 40. You hit 90, 100, 200, 300, 400. And that goes all the way to like 3,000 or something. And the abjadic number of hadid is a certain number, whatever it is. It is the same number as the atomic number. Uh, in the scientific, uh, the element chart. What do they call that? Periodic table. In research published in the journal Natural Geoscience on Monday, Yi Yang, associate prof- re- re- research scientist at Peking University, and Zhao Dong Song, Peking University chair professor, studied seismic waves from earthquakes that have passed through the Earth's inner core along similar paths since the 60s to infer how fast the inner core is spinning. So that's the usul of how they got to know how fast the earth core is spinning in the first place. What they found was unexpected, they said. Since 2009, seismic records, which previously changed over time, showed little difference. This, they said, suggested that the inner core rotation had paused. We show surprising observations that indicate the inner core has nearly ceased its rotation in the recent decade and may be experiencing a turn back. Okay, so if it turns back, will that affect the crust? That's what matters to us, right? We're on the crust. No business with the core. When you look at the decade between 1980 and 1990, you see clear change. But when you see 2010 and 2022, you don't see much change. The spin of the inner core is driven by the magnetic field generated in the outer core and balanced by the gravitational effects of the mantle. Knowing how the inner core rotates could shed light on how these layers interact and other processes deep in the earth. However, the speed of this rotation and whether it varies is debated. Uh, said uh, Har- Har- Vaji. Tekalchik, <laughs> a uh, Tekalchich, maybe, a geophysicist at the Australian National University who was not involved in the study. The inner core doesn't come to a full stop, he said. The study's finding, he said, means that the inner core is now more in sync with the rest of the planet than a decade ago when it was spinning faster. So that's what he's saying. That's stop. It's now in exact sync with the Earth, so it looks like it's not moving. Nothing cataclysmic has happened. These guys have a rivalry in physics, right? And these guys, probably if you go to their Twitter pages, 
they're bashing each other with in polite phys- physics ways, whatever. However, physicists talk to each other. Yeah, exactly. El fiziyain have medhabs here. Uh, so far, I like the Chinese guys. They're it's a bit more dramatic, you know. Song and Yang are. This guy is saying nothing's happening. There's no news. You don't have a CNN article if if there's nothing happening. Song and Yang argue that based on their calculations, a small imbalance in the electromagnetic and gravitational forces could slow and even reverse the inner core's rotation. They believe this part of a seven, this is part of a seven-decade cycle and that the turning point prior to the one they de- uh, detected in their data in 2010 occurred in early 1970. Talchich, this is the uh, Debbie Downer over here, who is the author of The Earth's Inner Core, revealed by observational seismology, said the study's data analysis is sound. However, uh, in other words, the hadith they're using is sound. However, the study's findings should be taken cautiously. The istidlal is batil. That's basically what he's saying. In our language, he's saying the evidences are sound, but the way the evidences are used to form a conclusion is unsound. Okay. As more data and innovative methods are needed to shed problem to shed light on this interesting problem, Talchich dedicated an entire chapter to the of his book to the inner core rotation. I wonder how many book sales he got for that. Maybe it's a textbook. Uh, he suggests that the inner core cycle is every twenty to thirty years, rather than seventy. Okay, this has nothing to do with anything related to the inner core of the Earth. Um, Earth. Let me just see what they say about Earth rotation reversing. Earth rotation reversal. And I want to see, is this something related to, like, young Earthers or what? Like, it's something that we should take seriously or no? Yeah, exactly. Like, the scientific concept that the Earth could ever... do you know how long it would take to stop such a, a fast rotation? The best thing is to be honest with the science of things, but also to leave these matters to Allah. We don't understand these things. We don't know how it could happen. It could happen, but we don't understand how. Okay. Everyone is publishing this. CNN, Science News. Okay. Earth's inner core. Even the New York Times has... has written article the hill which is political the inner core may have paused in its rotation okay but that doesn't have nothing to do with um the earth rotating the opposite way i don't think okay they have just different reiterations of the same article all right let us can we please see here any article talking about the reversal of the Earth's rotation. What if the Earth started spinning backwards? This was written one year ago by Live Science. All right, let's see what they say. I'm not promoting any of these ideas. We have to be nothing but facts. Okay, we don't take a conclusion... Our conclusion is the prophet's true. We don't then take that and then sit there doing backflips with scientific evidence to make that true. 
when the prophet and, and when Allah and his messenger are true, it's going to be a clear fact that does not require backflips to make it true. Okay? And if I can't find any single piece of evidence of, or, or understanding of how would Allah and his messenger be true, like what would that be like? What would it look like in the real world? I simply do what we call ta'alluq. I just leave it. I leave it. I believe that Allah and his message is true. I have zero clue. Tawakkuf, I mean, sorry. I have zero clue how it's going to happen. I believe it. I have zero clue how it's going to happen. I admit there is no sign of it ever happening. But by whose perception? Mine and other human beings' perception that it can't happen. That perception is low on the epistemic uh, totem pole. For billions of years, the earth has rotated in the same direction as the sun. But what if that direction were reversed? Is this just a thought experiment or is there any science behind it? The website is called Live Science. Let's just see. Deserts would cover North America. Arid sand dunes would replace the Amazon rainforests. Lush green landscapes would flourish in Africa and the Middle East. Okay. According to a computer simulation. In the simulation, not only did deserts vanish from some continents, which is pretty interesting because the Prophet did say Arabia would become green again at the end of time. Okay. But freezing winters would plague Western Europe. Bacteria that produce oxygen through photosynthesis bloomed where they had never before. The Atlantic um, Meridiano. Merid- meridional overturning circulation and important climate regulating ocean current in the Atlantic faded away and would resurface in the northern Pacific Ocean okay during Earth's year-long orbit around the Sun our planet completes a full rotation rotation on its axis which runs from the North Pole to the South Pole every 24 hours as we all know spinning at a rate of 1040 miles an hour okay its rotation direction is prograde or west to east, which appears counterclockwise when viewed above the North Pole. So if you're standing over the North Pole, you see the Earth going this way, west to east. So that's why the sun comes from the east. And it is common to all the planets in our solar system, except Venus and Uranus. They, they rotate the opposite of us, according to NASA. Okay, and as the Earth rotates, the push and pull of its momentum shapes ocean currents, which along with atmospheric wind flows, of course, the rotation of the Earth is going to have influence on the wind and the, and the water, right? Makes sense. It produces a range of climate patterns around the globe. These climate patterns carry abundant rainfall to some areas, but uh, a dry air to other areas. So it makes it deserts and makes rainforests. If we were to go backwards, what would happen? The study how Earth's climate system is affected by its rotation, scientists recently modeled a digital version of Earth spinning in the opposite direction. I would like to know, have an idea what they think, as people who devote their lives to this, how long would it take to stop going 1,000 miles an hour? They, when they modeled the digital reverse re- version uh, of the spinning, clockwise rather than counterclockwise, okay, they found the following. This preserves all major characteristics of the topography, like the sizes and shapes of the continents, the position of the continents, 
and the oceans. Okay? Nothing changes of that stuff. But a completely different set of weather conditions. Okay? And topography. The new rotation set the stage for ocean currents and winds to interact with the continents in different ways. So it's the distribution of the water. That's essentially what it would be. Like you shake a ball this way, you stop, you shake it this way, the water on the surface is what's going to uh, to be moving in different directions. So you're going to end up with deserts in North America, tundra in Europe, and rainforests in Africa. Okay, to simulate what would happen if the Earth were to spin backwards, which is called retrograde instead of prograde, they used the Max Planck Institute Earth Science model to flip the sun's rotational path and thereby flip the Earth's rotation. The re- re- reverse is the uh, Cariolis effect, an invisible force that pushes against objects traveling over a rotating planet's surface. Once the alterations were in place and the model sh- showed Earth spinning in the opposite direction, the researchers observed the changes that emerged in the climate system over several thousand years as feedback among the rotation, atmosphere, and ocean went to work on the planet. The scientists wrote in a description of the work, which they are currently preparing for publication. Overall, the researchers found that a backward-spinning Earth was a greener Earth. Okay? Desert coverage shrank from about 16 million square miles to, uh, to 12 million square miles grass sprouted over half of the former deserts wood woody plants trees emerged in the other half vegetation stored more carbon okay so on and so forth the change in rotation also reversed global wind patterns doesn't no mention of the sun ocean currents in the simulation the ocean current responsible for transporting heat around the globe disappeared um from the atlantic ocean blah 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 other things other things so it's just an experiment of uh, a type of simulation and a thought experiment but nothing again mentioning any concepts um here's one united states geological survey i would say that's a reliable source right the usgs is it true that the Earth's magnetic field occasionally re- reverses its polarity? Which means what? It would go in the opposite way. Yes, the answer is. We can see evidence of the magnetic polarity reversals by examining the geological record. When lavas or sediments solidify, they often preserve a signature of the ambient med- uh, magnetic field at the time of deposition. Incredible, incredible as it may seem, the magnetic field occasionally flips over. The geomagnetic poles are currently roughly coincident with the geographic poles, but occasionally the magnetic poles wander far away from the geographic poles, undergoing an excursion. Earth's dynamo has no preference for a particular, particular polarity. So after an excursional period, the magnetic field, upon returning its state, usual state of rough alignment with the Earth's rotational axis, could just as easily have one polarity as another did you did you understand anything right now neither did i yeah this is one of those things that is for specialists in the fields every ten thousand years or 50 million years or seven hundred and eighty thousand years and the reversal has to take 
a period of hundreds to thousands of years. Okay? Though, one recent research indicates that one reversal could have taken place over one year. The numbers given here, nothing could be wrong, right? He says, this can happen over 10,000 years, 50 million years, 780,000 years, right? And then, one year. So basically, whatever number you throw out there is going to be right. But th that's interesting that he says that it is possible for this, the earth to stop and start and have a reversal. Is That's what they mean by a reversal of the magnetic fields. If it means the reversal of the rotation, that's one. He says it could have been over one year. All this you have to understand is speculative knowledge. And I, I talk to people sometimes at like dinners and stuff, and they, they cite these scientific articles as if it's absolute truth. And then they question the, the texts of the Sharia, right? And I'm like, do you know the difference between a speculative and absolute? With this, with this article, you yeah. could quote from the beginning of a sentence and defend one point and quote from the end of a sentence and defend the opposite. Exactly. You could argue and say, no, it's going to happen in a year. Someone said, no, scientists said it's going to happen in 15, 550 million years. 50 million years. And, and one guy said, like, uh, they, they were trying to plot a point of where, um, how long ago did human beings, were, were they on the earth? And so when they brought the guy and said, how, how did you get this number, like X, Y, Z, billion years? He said, something about the, um, what do they do? They do these radi radioactive, whatever, uh, carbon dating, sorry. They do this carbon dating. And he said, so we did a carbon dating, and then we just kept tracking the dots backwards, right? I mean, the way that they come up with these numbers is so basic, you can't take it seriously. Okay. The USGS film Secrets in Stone tells the story of how records of magnetic reversals help lead to the evolution of the plate tectonics theory. And that's it. That's the end of the article. But basically nothing, essentially. We have nothing. Okay, we have no information on this. All right, let's go to the Q&A portion. We have about 20, 36 minutes for Q&A today. Let's see what you all have. Right, anything to start off? Yes, they can visit. Assuming um, you know that we're in New Jersey, no problem. Ibrahim Khan, I feel you can go down a rabbit hole with these topics. Yeah, I'm telling you, when you read these scientific studies, especially the scientific study that trickles down to CNN, right, and the New York Times, you know that they're, they're not going to publish something unless it's going to sell, right? It's been there for a long time. They publish it when there's no news, Okay. So what we have to do is just be very speculative about this and, and cautious. I thought that after Sayyidina Isa, when the sun will come from the west. Yes, the sun comes from the west after Sayyidina Isa. But after that day, no toba is accepted. What do you think about online relationships? When someone is talking to you to know more. There's, I don't know, I think that 
Anytime that um, a guy and girl are just talking, it could go a little haywire. I think that it's better off if there's somebody, if it's if they're young, they're youthful, and I think anybody, even if they're in their thirties, forties, or fifties, can get out of can get out of line and get out of hand. Okay, um, so maybe if you're going to get to know people online, firstly know that the knowledge you're going to gain from online is limited. You can't really make serious decisions about that. Secondly, if there's someone else in the email, is probably better. Is waking up before Tajid by an hour acceptable? Yes, that's very good. That's great, Tajid. What time, what are the classes today? Arc view classes today are Hanbali Fiqh and then Tasawwuf. Tasawwuf starts at 7 well, we pray Aisha in the masjid at 7.30. By the time we set up, what time is it, right? It's like 7.50. And then we'll go to about 8.30. And then we have the night of Salah on the Prophet wasallam. Can we upload it? Uh, we, we're we going to a recording studio to record all this. Because this, the audio is, is usually no good in the masjid uh, due to the mic echo. The building is, it's a tall ceiling. I love the mic when you're there. Yeah, but to put a, a recording on YouTube, it's not always the best recording, right? Because of that echo. Maham um, Masoud says, can you all please pray for me? I'm packing and, and I'm shifting. We call that moving. They call it shifting um, in England. So may Allah give you a tawfiq in your move. Ibrahim Khan, how long do you think it takes to ha- to uh, take a hafiz to study and speak Arabic to understand Quran? It depends how many hours he's putting in, but if he's doing uh, he's trying every day, then I think that he should be able to get very far in one year. Even if you're not doing every day for like hours, but if you want to understand an, an Arabic, understanding of course is easier than speaking. And nobody speaks di- uh, classical Arabic. Everyone speaks dialect. So... To, to actually be able to read classical texts, I would say if you put in a serious, serious effort, even part-time, two years. How do we approach some expletive quotes from Ghazali and his view of women? However, whatever is true. Was Ghazali masoom? This is the beauty of Ahl-Sunnah. No one's masoom. Kullun yu'khadhu minhu wa yurad. Said the Prophet, said Sayyidina Imam Malik about the Prophet. This is the beauty of Ahl Sunnah. We're not a cult. We don't need to go do backflips to show that our, our Imams were masoom. You can have an Imam and he could have a mistake. He can have a perspective that you don't find to be true. Yet he's still our Imam because of his other virtues and how he benefited us. It's funny how they, they come to your Imam. Not saying this brother did it, but sometimes people they come to your imam, okay, and find a quote and then hang it in front of you. You you think I'm gonna you wanna see blood? You wanna now see like we're gonna divorce him completely? No. No problem to say our imam made a mistake. If that's the case. I'm saying as a theoretically, no problem to say our biggest sheikh, our biggest imam made a mistake. And that's the beauty of Islam. No one's masoom except the Prophet ﷺ. Is salah valid when you go down with your hands first in sajda? Yes, and that is the sunnah according to Malik too. 
Khadija Omar is talking about the importance of separating between speculative and absolute. Totally important. I sat with somebody and he said, look, it's right there. Right? And the article says we've been around for 13 billion years and there's seven different types of homo sapiens, uh, uh, humans. Homo sapien, homo erectus, homo whatever it is. Right? I'm like, man, did you ever question where the, how they came to those conclusions? I said they found pieces of evidence, then they wove it together with their own imagination. That's how all of this prehistoric history looks like. People get shocked about dinosaurs. Yes, they found a bunch of bones. They never found a full dinosaur complete. And when you go there, there are some dinosaur bones there, and the rest, they had to imagine it in. No problem with dinosaurs. There's no foul there, right? No harm. But when they come and they're telling us that the different types of humans, some were... Like, whatever, you go and there's different schools of thought. Three types of humans, seven types of humans. They all intermarried, right? So where are they? Okay? So it's all speculative. It's dhanni. It's there, there, there is so much imagination. There's a little bit of evidence, and then they have to weave it together. There's no point as a scientist. The, the bold scientist is the one who makes a claim. Okay, we got all this evidence, right? What do we do with it? Do we just say, here's the evidence, pass it on? No. The bold scientist needs to come up with something, right? Come up with an idea. Then the more we discover stuff, then my idea can be attacked. It could, my idea could fall apart or not. Like a detective. The detective comes in, she sees a woman there in a, in a, 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 a pool of blood, and he sees a glove, and he sees... Okay, uh, a knife. Then he's got to start weaving together a theory. Okay, that the knife belonged to the estranged husband, and he came in. There's two footprints, other footprint here, and the other DNA of another man. Who's that other man? Oh, it's his old best friend. So his old best friend, he caught him cheating on his wife, so he killed his wife, and he killed his best friend. Like he got to put a theory together, until a new discovery, of a fact impinges upon that theory or impugns that theory like what husband you're under arrest we think you killed your wife what are you talking about i was in australia i was in another continent okay so you're innocent next theory right so that theory is out every piece of evidence okay adds to the possibility of what could happen and what could not have happened all right that's why a smart criminal has to create a great alibi He's got to create a really good alibi uh, in order to get away with it. So science, whenever you get this prehistoric knowledge and they're telling you what happened billions of years ago, put that very low at the bottom of the epistemic totem pole. Its value is very little as certain knowledge. Okay, And for people to actually base anything upon that, it's not a smart idea. Okay. What is more important, learning Qur'an or learning fiqh? Learning Al-Fatiha and one surah of Qur'an and then fiqh after that. Fiqh is more important. Medni 786, I have lost the ability to read more than a minute. Okay? I'm only able to consume stimulated videos to gain knowledge. Any recommendation? Yeah, you could do this. It's very simple. Every day... You set your timer, you, you, take, you shut your phone off, 
You look at the microwave. You shut your iPad off. You sit with a book. You look at the microwave. Read the book for five minutes. That's it. But do it every single day. Because it is a muscle. And it's shrinking. This muscle's shrinking. The cheap and easy-to-use stimulation muscle is now becoming the only thing that we could use. That's not good. So sit and read for five minutes. But every single day. You retrain your mind to, 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 to have the patience to read and to be able to read. Did I meet my wife on Mawadda? No, there was no such thing as online Muslim things like that in my time. My time is like only a few years ago. Well, maybe a bit more than that. But there was no such thing as that in our time. Okay. Please tell me a specific number of Salat Tunjina so that I can acquire a specific desire such as marriage. 100 in the middle of the night is very good. Or the day, but the night is better. How to advise women who want to become Talib Ilm? How do they navigate the responsibility and role as a woman? Is it fitna? No, it's not a fitna. It's, um, it's not a fitna. You can be a Talib Ilm part-time. Right? You don't have to actually be a part a Talib Ilm full-time if you have like husband, what, uh, children, stuff like that. You Talib Ilm, listen to this very closely. Talib Ilm means you have made a decision on who is the most trustworthy sources of knowledge, worthy of following. It doesn't mean it's a person. It could be like a madhab, a book, a course, an institution, a set of scholars. That's number one. Number two, you have defined what you're studying. I'm going to study fiqh al-akbar. I'm going to study tahawiyah. Number three, you are systematically studying that book, whether it's reading videos online direct virtual or in person that's the order too watching videos here okay. actually i would put reading a book here first why because reading a book there's a lot there in a video people talk in much easier language than a book right it's probably easier to understand a video than a book right so i would put the book at the bottom although if you understand the book it's far better than a video but chances of misunderstanding, I think, are greater in a book. Okay? Then, so books and videos are similar. One's a lecture, one's the written word. And they're also similar in that you're disconnected from the person. There's no feedback. There's no actually getting to know the teacher and talking to them. Next up is the virtual class, which is what we provide in ArcView. And then the highest of all and the hardest is the in-person class. Because that requires you know, both people to be at the same time and the same place. The virtual class requires you only to be at the same time as the teacher. Meeting at the same time. So it removes the factor of location. And in a good virtual class, there should be ability to ask questions. So if you are systematically doing it, even if you're doing it 20 minutes a week, it is systematic. It's defined. A decision has been made. It might just take you longer than everybody else. But you are a student of knowledge. I wish speakers and scholars motivate Muslim youth to business. I know they can't control what people do, but I 
sad to see most youth are now generally doing DoorDash and Uber. Uh, yeah, I'm a big fan of business myself. The Prophet Sallallahu said, nine-tenths of risk is in buying and selling, right? And I think that business, you bring a lot of benefit to the world and you challenge yourself, right? So I, I like this idea, but you have to have something to sell. Most people don't have something to sell. That's the problem. But if you put your mind to it, you will find something to sell. Okay, I'm being corrected that uh, in England, they do call moving, okay? Moving home, not shifting. Okay, so we're learning a little bit of British English here. I guess that's the original English. 4FE says, how do you advise... Oh, we just read that question. Mu'inul Haq. Not getting too close to scholars, but isn't it recommended to follow your teachers? Yes, but you don't want to get involved, too personally involved, lest something crop up between the two of you. Or lest you start seeing them as a normal person and you start getting this imagination in your head that imams are something besides normal people. Many people have that. I'm immunizing you from now, from that. You're going to thank me later. Okay? I know I sound like a grandpa right now. But that's the truth. Shiuch, the best of them, the best of shiuch, they're human beings, regular people, who have, a, yes, they're superior to us in many ways because of what they've done and how Allah has elevated them. But there is an element of them, do not ever imagine there's no element of them that's not a normal human being. Why? So that when you see that aspect, you don't get crestfallen. Here you had the Prophet ﷺ, we read in Surah Al-Tahrim, he had a marital dispute in front of everyone in Medina. In the sense that people knew that he was not spending time at home. Why did this happen? If that can happen to the Prophet, it could happen to anybody. So, on the one hand, we talked about, we don't uh, disrespect the scholars, we don't lean against the wall when the scholar's there. When you go to the scholar, empty your mind so you can learn, be a blank sheet of paper, do exactly what he tells you. That's the only way to learn. By the way, that's the only way to learn for anybody, whether you're learning from a plumber or from anybody else. Yet at the same time, you don't want to ever come find a situation where you get intertwined with a scholar and then something bad happens. Uh, I'll tell you what some, other, some imams tell me. That some imams tell me that the hardest thing is that they also have to hire and fire. And they say that people have a crisis. When the sheikh fires them, they say it's the biggest problem. So they have to create buffers in between them, right? And still people get traumatized. If you work for a sheikh, if he hires you for something, like in his institute or something, are you going to be okay if you get fired? It's not good to get too, too formal, too informal, I should say, like that. Right, with the shiuch. Lego man, can you please throw some light, shed some light on the footprints of the Prophet Ibrahim? Yes, that was a miraculous thing that in uh, the Maqami Ibrahim, that rock was helping the Prophet Ibrahim reach the top of the Kaaba. We have a telegram group now, and Ryan has just put down the... Um, the link for the telegram group and on that telegram group we'll be putting out messages about this live stream 
and I'm I, I'm actually um, gonna look at it now because I was on Telegram, then I got off Telegram, and now it's requiring me to give him a code. So let me type in this code real quick. Hmm? This is a good one, huh? Okay, good. Okay, good. Six and so let me let me get on there now and see what's going on. First of all, all right. So when you sign in, they're gonna have to give you a code. Six. Okay. All right. Now, what is it called? Josephine Society. Okay. And this is it. You put in the stream. If you'd like more scholarly content from now, what do I what do I do to say something now? Can I record a video? Yeah. And I can record a video right now. Okay, good, good. So let's record a video. Assalamu <clears throat> alaikum, everyone. Welcome to the Safina Society Telegram. What do you call it, right? A Telegram channel, a Telegram chat, whatever it's called. Welcome to this Telegram group. We will try uh, try to share as much information as possible about the the live stream that we do. Nothing but facts. Uh, inshallah ta'ala that we'll be having a lot of guests and may Allah bless this channel and everyone who put it together soup kitchen updates and Dar al-Fatih news all of our news we'll be putting here and it's with your dua and your support that uh, this work will be protected from shaitan and get blessings from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala that we need and may Allah ta'ala let us live and die upon this work of da'wah and accept it from us and accept our dua and yours Assalamu alaikum warahmatullah. Okay, do I do I am I supposed to hit like the things first? It says soften the skin, okay, make you look handsome. Okay, enhance brightness, make it black and white. Okay, um, all right, there we go. So there we go. I I did just did my first Telegram thing. I I never uh, I had Telegram before I took it off. But I guess the, the brothers are convincing me that it's good to be on it now. So, Turn off notifications, says Daydream of Autumn, because they're way too much. So I'll turn off my notifications, but you guys keep the notification for Safina Saidi on. Now, why isn't it going up? Is it just processing? Can I click off if it's processing, right? Okay. All right, so let, let, I'm not going to touch my phone so that um, yes, let's hear the question. What are they saying? <clears throat> Can everyone comment on this? Under a post in a separate page. Oh, that's pretty smart. Yeah, but not public, not like on the group. Oh, and there's a lot of questions. Like if you're under the 
Yeah. So, hey, okay, can we get Imam Abdul Samad Clark to discuss uh, money and finance? All right, let's put him down. Why not? What's the ruling on Islamic ruling on non-Ahlil Kitab kuffar? Do they have to convert? Even Ahlil Kitab do too. Ahlil Kitab are, not, are, are a branch of kuffar. They must believe in the Prophet ﷺ in order, if they have heard of him, they must believe in him. There's no excuse. Otherwise, in sight of Allah, they're guilty. Okay. What should our 300 daily salawat consist of? Anything that you want. Whatever salah on the Prophet that is easy for your heart. Kuma says, he skips my question again. Oh, I just, I didn't see it to be quite honest. But here it is, I go back up. What is Sufi opinion on Ibn Taymiyyah and his works? Ibn Taymiyyah, when it comes to tasawwuf, his fatwa on the prohibition of tawassul, did he prohibit tawassul? And prohibited the mawlid? Yeah? So those things we don't, may not agree on. Yeah, he, he, did, he prohibited that. That we don't agree on that. No, tawassul is a completely valid thing. And Ibn Abdul Wahhab, no, nah, he's far off. He's from the Khawarij. He's a, his takfir is way out of line and his accusations of shirk are way out of line. Not even a discussion on that. Junaid said, bro, it's a, a contentious question. Oh, khalas, we answered it. Alhamdulillah, no problem. Okay, no problem. All right. All right, so I guess it's pretty fun, this Telegram thing. One more question. Let's take it from Telegram, I guess, right? Let's take it from Telegram. Since today it's uh, a day in which we're doing Telegram and, and discovering it. If there's another question. No filters. Keep it real. Nothing but facts. Yes, no filters. How can we remember basic information that we say on this podcast that we keep forgetting, says A.W.? This is a good question, and here's what I advise you to do. Anytime that we bring in a ilmi uh, feature, see, the way the, the, the logic of these podcasts was started, the, the concept was actually, it was Moin's idea, way back in 2014, 2015. He said, what if a person of knowledge... I'm not saying I'm a person of knowledge, but I learned a thing or two over the years. I guess by default, if you're old enough, you're going to pick up stuff. Even a broken clock is right twice a day. And I'm, I was like older now than a lot of these other young cats. And like, we want to study, but you know, like sometimes the class is too heavy. I said, okay, no problem. You can get stronger. I would advise you to get stronger to take the classes with the shiuch. But he said, what if a regular guy was to talk to an imam all the time? What would happen? What would it be like? So we started to do this. And there's going to be times when I mention a very important point of knowledge. That you should write down on a, on a note card or something. And I try to repeat them. Like, for example, the, extre the importance of being able to separate a truth claims between qat'i and dhanni. The qat'i is explicit and unambiguous. It's certain. Okay. 
the dhanni involves some conjecture. Okay? It is not certain. Anytime you get these truth claims that conflict, always ask yourself, is one qat'i and one dhanni? Then the qat'i overtakes the dhanni. Let me give you a great example that touches on our aqidah, touches upon our everyday life and everything. What happens to somebody who dies never hearing of Islam? There's two texts. One text is from the Quran that says, We do not punish anyone until we send them a messenger. Another text says, They will be resurrected on the day of judgment, and Allah will test them with a test from Himself. Then they will either go to heaven or hell. And that test is that He will command everyone to jump into a fire. If they jump into the fire, then they would have obeyed Him in this world and believed in Him. They will find that fire to be paradise. And then He will bring a paradise that says, Do not jump into this paradise. Some people will jump into the paradise and they will find it to be the fire. Those are the people they would have been kuffar in this life. So what do we do? The scholars say, the Quranic verse is qat'i and it's mutawatir on top of that. On top that the language is explicit. It's mutawatir, it's the Quran. The Quran is mutawatir. But this means widespread. Everybody knows it. No discussion about it. Every sahabi who read the Quran knew it. But this hadith is ahad. It's, it's ahad. It's not mutawatir. It's something that um, we don't have all the information around it. If that was the case, why didn't the Prophet repeat it over and over and over and over? So we say then, the scholars said, that we do not say that this hadith is a lie or that the person lied. But we don't have enough information to, to make it a binding belief. Therefore, it is not a binding belief. If you believe in that hadith, fine, no problem. But it is not binding, and it is not the final say of Ahl-Sunnah. The final say is the verse. Why? Because that there's another issue there. This hadith contradicts something that's in the Qur'an. What does it contradict? It contradicts that the Qur'an that this life is the abode of testing and the next life is the abode of judging. The next life is not the abode of testing. Okay? That's a good example of how we use the concept. We separate between qat'i and dhanni, mutawatir and ahad. Mutawatir means so widespread, there's no discussion about it. Like the existence of Madagascar or that the fact that there was World War I and World War II. It's mutawatir. No way someone invented that idea. And ahad means it only came from one person. Now, Abu Hanifa has a wonderful thing, and Madik follows this too. If something was deen, religion, right, then the Prophet said it all the time, repeated it over and over and over and over. If something was religion, okay, that obligation for us to believe in. Okay, now let's just take this to its final. abode someone says okay the worst murderer in the world in world history let's say he killed hundreds of thousands of people but he never heard of islam in our times or the prophet of his time because it's the same idea he never let's say he lived hundreds of years thousands of years ago and there was a prophet at that time but living far away and by the time the message arrived at his city where he killed hundreds of thousands of people and he raped and pillaged, 
he had died. Do we say that this man goes to paradise? We say yes. Ahum yaqsimuna rahmata rabbik. Do you de- de- deter- determine the mercy of Allah? Are you the distributor of Allah's mercy? No. Only Allah's book will tell us. What about those victims? Allah will reward those victims on the day of judgment until they're satisfied. And their murderer will sweat and face every single one of those victims. Okay. Doesn't he know by his fitrah, his instinct, that murder is wrong? Yes, he does. But your fitrah, your mind and your fitrah cannot tell you that there's an eternal punishment. How did he know there's an eternal punishment? Right? How would he know that there is a God that will take him to account? Yes, he may know there's a creator with his mind. But he does he know with his mind that I'm going to be taken to account? No. You need transmission for this. So he didn't have the ingredients that are necessary to stop him from doing wrong. So he's innocent. Okay? All right. So that's the concept and that's the idea of uh, and it helps us a lot in when we, when we face conflicting evidences. So we can able to filter it out. And we don't, when we, whenever a hadith is sahih, but it's ahad, it does not provide an exception to a Quranic verse or to a mutawatir hadith. And at the same time, we don't say he's lying. We're not obligated to make a judgment on the transmission. We say that it's a valid transmission. It's a sound transmission, but it, it is not of the weight to become law for us. And Madik said this with his own mouth. Abu Hanifa said this with his own mouth. Okay, I transmit. He Madik was asked about a certain hadith. He said, "I transmitted it so that ignorant people such as you do not think I didn't know it. I knew it, but I have a stronger evidence. That hadith has to do al bayani bil khiyari madam Buying and selling is not over. The deal is not over until we get up. Let's say I I trade you this phone." Okay, for, or I, I sell you this phone for 200 bucks. All right, I took the 200 bucks, you took the phone. Khalas, the deal is over. That hadith, though, says that as long as we're still together, we can return it. Either one of us can change his mind. Well, Imam Malik said he narrated that hadith, but his ruling, his fiqh, was that no, that's not the case. As soon as you make the trade and you take my item and I take your item, the, t- the deal is done. Why? Because this is how all the scholars did trade in Medina. You know, I've seen anyone get up and walk away. They said, Ibn Omar used to do that. Fine. It's not wrong to do that. But it's not a hujjah. That's not the proof that it's obligatory. Just because a sahabi did it doesn't mean it's obligatory. If all the sahabi did it, we call that amal. Right? Then yes, we'd say that that's obligatory now. Because in order to get a whole society to do something, you have to repeat it over and over in very stark and crystal clear language that this is obligatory, you're going to get punished if you don't do it. So that's the value of the amal and the concept of the amal. And the Hanafis have amal al-mutawarith, which is the amal of Ahlul Kufa. Okay. Same concept, same idea. This religion is not going to have been changed and altered all right, um, within the first three generations. It's not, remember, that era is not like this era. Change in that era was very slow, right? To, to, to initiate a change would be very slow. In this era, change is very fast. You got a guy at 30, at 50, he's a whole other human being, right? Completely different guy, sometimes to a scary level. 
And may Allah protect us and keep us upon the uh, straight path. And the most important thing is husn khatima. And the habayb always say, Ya Allah biha, Ya Allah biha, Ya Allah bi husn khatima. Meaning we ask you by it, we ask you by it. Meaning the most valuable and precious thing, and that is husn al-khatima. We ask Allah Ta'ala to keep us on the sunnah and the jama'ah, and to keep us away from excess that leads us astray and distracts us, and to fulfill uh, our hearts with happiness and sa'ada, and to answer our dua that will keep us in such a way that it will keep us on the straight path and keep us motivated and keep us uh, happy to be on this straight path. And we ask Allah Ta'ala to fill our hearts with the love of the Messenger, peace be upon him. May Allah bless you all and strengthen you and increase your steadfastness and increase your seeking of knowledge and acting upon it and spreading it to your friends and your family. Subhanakallahumma wa bihamdik. Nashadu an la ilaha illa anta. Nastaghfiruk wa natubu ilayk. Wa al-asr. Inna al-insana lafi khusr. Illa al-ladhina amanu wa aminu al-salihat. Wa tawasaw bil-haq. Wa tawasaw bil-sabr. Wassalamu alaykum. Wa tawasaw bil-haq. Wa tawasaw bil-sabr. 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 Wa tawas